All right, this is our uh, second episode for the uh, Chance of Gaming podcast, and I guess I was a little negligent in mentioning all the the uh, social media, I guess you could say. You can go to chanceofgaming.com. You can email us at chanceofgaming at gmail.com. Uh, our Twitter handle is at chanceofgaming, all one word. And there is patreon.com slash chanceofgaming. So that's like all our stuff there. So yeah, we're on iTunes. So it would be cool if you guys could like, subscribe, leave us a uh, review. That would be great. You know how it is with a young podcast. This is, you know, we, we really need this kind of stuff to keep going. We need the feedback. And we're just getting it from our friends that are like, you know, you, you were kind of cool. But, you know, those other guys are, you know, <laughs> just stuff like that. So. By all means, please, let us know how we're doing. And uh, as always, are, uh, with me is Richard and Roy. Good evening, guys. Hello, I'm Roy. I'm I Richard. I should have changed my name to an R name, too, like Ray. We could be Ray, Richard, <laughs> Roy. And then we'd be like R-cubed would be the podcast. Anyway, I just noticed that. <laughs> Got a little alliteration going. So, uh, the first thing usually we like to talk about is like what we've played in the past couple of weeks since we spoke to you last, and since I've got really not much to talk about, and Rich has a lot to talk about, I thought I'd turn it over to him and see what he played. Yeah, i played quite a bit. I've had a good couple of weeks. It's been nice. Um, I finally played the Imperial Assault with the app, which is nice. Do you guys know about that? Is it an official app? It is. It's an official app published by FFG. It's free. It's for uh, I know it's for iPad and it's also on Steam, which is cool. Um, and I assume it's probably for Android or whatever as well. But you uh, you you just log into it and you tell it everything you have. You have to have at least the core set. Um, and you, so Imperial Assault is a, it's a Star Wars game. It's based off of the game Descent. It's a small uh, skirmish game where you can play one versus one skirmish games on a, a map that you construct from tiles in the box. Or you can play a campaign where one or more players teams up uh, as rebels and they play against the Empire. The old way to play it before they came out with the app was always to have one player playing the Empire and then the rest of the players would play the rebels. But now that they have the app... You can log onto the app. You can tell it what you have, so it knows, you know, what figures and what map pieces you have and everything. And it'll actually give you a mission. And it's a it's a whole campaign where you can learn experience points and get more weapons and all the good stuff that you would expect in that. Uh, but it tells you where to put the imperial figures. Uh, it doesn't exactly track where they are on the map. You have to do that yourself. But it does say, you know, take this stormtrooper and move him toward this character and attack him and stuff like that so it's kind of fun because i play it with my uh with a couple of my daughters i've always had to play against them but this way we can actually all play together on the same team so i've been i've been pretty happy with it so far that's a really interesting piece of tech yeah. that it would do that it essentially allows you to do it solitaire Yes, and a lot of people use it for that exact reason too. Because when you play the rebels, you play any number, you can play either two, three, or four rebels. So depending on how many characters you have, you can have two people play two each, or and uh, I think you can play with two, but it doesn't really work very well. It's usually either three or four rebels, but depending on the number of players you have, you can decide. And then obviously, if you're solo, you just control all the rebels yourself and play against the app. 
that's really cool. I really appreciate when companies do that. Although you don't see a lot of that kind of thing except out of the larger companies. Yeah, I there's um I wish I had my iPad here with me. There's uh the company that makes Clank and Mysterium. Uh, they've got apps for those as well. Uh, Clank, I haven't actually played with the app, but it sort of gives you missions that you can play through against the app as a way to play the game a little differently. Um, so, yeah, you're, uh, there's, you're seeing a little more of it here and there. Renegade Game Studios. Does that is right, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, we talked about them a lot. Mysterium? Yes. Well, oh. I know they have the app for Mysterium. I'm assuming it's the same publisher. It could be some third-party tech company that just does the app for the games. I'm not sure about that. Now, Mysterium, is that the one with the blue cover? Yeah, I think that's the one where you play like a... It's like the opposite of Clue, from what I understand. You you play a, a ghost trying to tell the other characters who murdered you or something like that. It it sounds interesting, but I've never played it. I'm showing Asmodee. Asmodee. Ever okay. how you say it is does Mysterium is what I'm okay. Doing. And interestingly enough, there's actually a game on Steam, and it is the same game. Looks like yeah, it probably yeah, it's, is. It's, it's from Asmodee Digital. Yeah, you get it for uh, ten bucks as yeah, of this got, podcast. Yeah, and I've got that in my notes later. The number of uh, board game apps that are coming out on Steam it's it's kind of amazing. It's it's great for for solo players for sure. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll wait till we get to that point. What else did you play? So I did play through Holland 44 again. So I played it a couple times now. I'm starting to get my mind wrapped around that one. It's a, it's a really good game. I've only played it solo so far, just playing both sides as myself. And uh, the one problem that I can see possibly being a problem with is it looks like it's a lot more fun for the Allies than the Germans. The Germans are very reactive in that game, and mostly what you're doing is trying to blow up bridges as the Allies move past them. As the Germans, you do get more and more reinforcements at the end, and you start to get moving, but especially at the beginning of the game, it's very much just sort of reacting to the Allied assault. But there's historicity in that as well. So, And who makes that? Uh, that's made game? by GMT, yeah. Okay. All right. And they've got a series of... Uh, games that are like this one is Holland 44. There's one that's uh, I don't know. They've got at least three of those where it's like the the part of Europe that is played in, and then the year that the battle was fought in. So hmm. now GMT is you know they're known for lots of hex encounter games, but they have a digital side as well. Their first digital game I want to say was um, what was that Evolution type game it's really popular there is one called evolution that are you talking about dominant species dominant species yeah. that's it yeah, yeah 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 and so there's oh twilight struggle that's oh, yeah. one really big and supposedly you can play like by email quote unquote it's not really email it's v with your on an ipad versus some guy on a uh, pc on Steam, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've yeah. always got a game of Twilight St Struggle going, and I've never actually played it on cardboard. I've only ever played that one online. I played it once on cardboard, and it was a lot of fun. Oh, they have Leaping Lemmings as well. <laughs> but well, that's, that's a Mayfair uh, title, right? L Leaping well, no, sorry, no, never mind. Lemming Mafia is a Mayfair title. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, tell me about Lemming Mafia. Do you do you actually go and kill other lemmings and like put them in cement <laughs> shoes and stuff? 
Uh, yes, actually. So um, <laughs> there's a, the board is a, is a boat dock, and then there's a path that goes down to the boat, and then once the lemmings get to the, get to the water, then they jump in. So it's a, kind of a game of prediction. So you get a, a mission card that says, well, I want uh, the blue lemming to survive. And so the, you play cards to move uh, the lemmings around in the order that they go in. So there's a line of maybe nine or ten lemmings of different colors. And so they, they, they're marching towards the, uh, towards the dock. And so you play a card that says, okay, well, I'm going to move this lemming ahead to the next open space. And so you're kind of trying to, to jigger the, the, uh, the, the different lemmings around so that they go in in the order that, that you want them to go. So then if you put like a cement overshoe little peg on them, then they go a little bit slower. Or um, the, so like you play, you play the dawn, and the dawn like saves a particular lemming from going into the water. The and so it's, yes, so it's it's you know it's the 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 typical uh, Godfather you know sitting in the overstuffed chair except he's a lemming, and it's 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 one of those games like uh, Sheer Panic is another Mayfair title that looks cute, but is um, uh, pretty deep as far as strategy goes. So it's it's an abstraction that they sort of overlaid. Uh, uh, Cute little cartoon lemmings onto. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to. Is there a Fredo lemming? You know, is there a Mo Howard? You know, a Mo, no, not Mo Howard. Mo, whatever the guy that got his eye shot out in the original Godfather. I want to know oh. more about Godfather lemmings. Yes, <laughs> Fredo lemming. That's what but, I want to know. So that's for for the record. Uh, lemming Mafia is not leaping lemmings, and I'm not familiar with leaping lemmings. <sighs> it's so. It's one I barely remember that uh, GMT did. I was just looking on, uh, like, if you Google, like, GMT Digital, which is what I did. And, of course, you can see all this stuff in the show notes. Um, they have uh, Leaping Lemmings as, I think, their second uh, thing. And, interestingly enough, I see down here they're doing a P500 for a digital game. And I don't think they've ever done that. They are doing a digital version of Night Flyer. Mm, that is interesting. I've never heard and, of that. Uh. And I think because you can get it for twenty bucks, they it'll be for Windows. It's Air Warfare in the Night Skies of World War Two. So I'm assuming that's based on a game they already have, and it's just a digital version of it. But uh, yeah, I kind of want that. So I'm, I'm gonna actually do. I never do P500, and I kind of want to do that. So. <laughs> So anyway, what what else uh, have you got on the that you've played? Uh, let's see. I've got a game of Genesis going right now. Uh, another GMT game. It's a it's a Richard Berg game. Um, it's in the ancient Middle East. There's Egypt and Babylon and Hittites and a bunch of ancient kingdoms. Uh, it's a point to point movement war game. Um, to be honest, so far, I'm not that enthralled with it. I, I bought it because thematically it looked really interesting, but it's just it's not really catching me very much. The combat system's a little weird, and I don't quite get it. So I, I, I get it. I don't like it. <laughs> hmm. 
So it's it's got a sort of weird combat system where you roll. It's it's got ratios and then um, a combat resolution table, which is standard for war games. But then you find where you are on the ratio and you roll. Uh, I think you roll a d6, or maybe it's even yeah. It's you roll a d6 for the attacker and the defender, and then based on different things on the combat table and the leaders, one person will get to shift the die rolls in any direction they want. So you can shift the six, your roll higher and the other guys lower, depending on the number of shifts. But the weird thing is you end up doing a percentage of damage. So because of the way the charts work, if if you're facing two opponents and you take off 20%, then you're going to be doing zero or one damage wherever the chart comes out. Whereas if you're facing 10 opponents and you do 20% damage, you're knocking two off. So sometimes when you're actually fighting a city that has no defenders and their only defense is their walls, it takes forever to take it down. It's just it's sort of annoying. So I'm not crazy about it. I'm going to keep playing it at least through this game, but so far I'm not a fan. Hmm, okay. And uh, the next thing you had that you played is one that's been on my list for about, gosh, like eight years now, is yeah. Here I Stand. Yeah, now that is the opposite. That's a great game. Um, And I'm playing online right now. I've played it actually on the table a couple times, and I've even played it with, like, some people that are not war gamers at all. So that was interesting. Um, But everybody loves the game, even though they have a hard time wrapping their mind around the complexity of it. It's just a well, well well-designed game. It's got, you know, every single... uh, not faction or nationality, whatever you call the six. There's France, the Habsburgs, England, the Protestants, the Catholics, and the Ottomans. Uh, But everyone has slightly different ways to win. I mean, for the most part, anybody can take land to win, anyone except for the Protestants, and even they can at the end of the game. But, you know, you've got some people that only care about land, some people that care about exploring the new world. The Ottomans want to engage in piracy. So there's different victory points for every single faction and it's it's really a fascinating balance of it's it's just a really really well designed game but it's 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 big and it's long so you know you're going to be looking at it's it's definitely a full day game if you want to sit down and play it in one session or maybe even a couple half days might be better depending on what your group is like well tell me tell me about it like who publishes it uh, so that's a GMT game also, um, and they actually just came out with – so it's it, – the game is based – the full game starts in 1517, the year that the Protestant Reformation started. And in last year – no, or you know, October 31st last year was the 500th anniversary. So they came out with a new 500th anniversary edition of it. The original version of the game is, I don't know, 5, 10 years old, something like that, but – they came out with a newer version with some updated, slightly updated rules, some updated counters and stuff like that. Um, and that's what I've been playing is the 500 anniversary edition. But yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's a GMT the new game as well. Yeah. Okay. And next on our list was uh, you got into the Advanced Squad Leader Starter Kit. Yeah, I got another person to play that one with me. That's my mission is to get as many people playing that as possible. Um, just a, a friend of mine that I play a lot of games with. We... Uh, we get together probably at least a couple times a month and just play something. So, yeah, I said, hey, why don't you look, come learn Advanced Squad later? And he, he enjoyed it, yeah. 
So we're gonna we're gonna keep playing that. It's my my mission to get someone that'll just play through everything I have because I don't really want to buy any more ASL because I've got so much. But I've got enough to even if I played it every week, I could probably go three or four years without ever having to repeat anything. Well, yeah, that was it. Was always my desert island game because yeah. th- then I would have to be forced to actually learn it. And then I have enough scenarios that I can play into the end of time and never repeat. Yeah. I mean, I can't stress that enough for people that are listening. This game has hundreds upon hundreds. It's got to have thousands of scenarios. And they're scenarios. still putting more stuff out. Yeah. Which is, it's crazy. I mean, the game's what, it's got to be 30 years old or something. And they're still least, putting their yeah. stuff out, so, yeah. So the next thing you have, I don't think I can actually pronounce. Viticulture. Viticulture. Okay, what is yeah. viticulture? I got my my, wife, my mom to play that one with me, and they had a blast. It was so much fun. I mean, there's some about sitting around drinking a nice bottle of wine and playing a game about growing and selling wine, growing grapes and selling wine. So, it's a worker placement game. If you've played Agricola or Caverna or Fields of Arl or any of those, it's it's that type of thing. Um, I guess another one would be uh, what's the the D and D game, the uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Same kind of thing, a worker placement. But yeah, you're putting guys out there to uh, to plant vines and grow grapes and turn it into wine and sell it. And it's just it's just a really fun game. I um, my wife is is really into those kind of games where it's not not direct conflict but you're still you know you're trying to grab the the prime spot before someone else is so yep, it's a fun I've game this. yeah I, I enjoy it well what's been your experience roy with it uh well so i guess one of the things i like about it is when you start the game you get what is you get two mamas and two papas and then so like each one has a some sort of a benefit and then you say, okay, well, I'm going to take this mama and pair it with this papa, and then that's kind of your starting hand. And each one's a little bit different. So, like, Roberto has, he starts with, um, uh, like, a, a, a trellis. And there's some varieties of wine that only grow on trellises. So if you're going to if you're gonna plant that, that vine, you have to have the trellis, and, and so you either have to pay for it or get it as your starting hand, so to speak, in the in the game. So it's like each uh, each player is, is customized a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I enjoy that part of it, and it's yeah, it's very much a worker placement. Um, and it's uh, you know I really like Agricola, but I always like there's so much that has to be done, and I can never get it all done. So I'm terrible at it. But this game, yeah. you know, it's kind of the same sort of deal that, well, I only have so many workers, and they have to go in particular spots. And, um, you know, so if I if I don't get this one because somebody else is there, then somebody, you know, well, here's my fallback position is to go here. So, yeah, yeah I do enjoy that game. Yeah, and More Workers is the name of the game. We found ourselves, usually whoever got to pick first went to that last spot to get the extra worker. So. Oh, yeah. Extra worker is really valuable in that game. Well, that has the uh, um, the variable turn order where if you go first, of course you're first, but if you're second or third, then you get to pick a vine, something like that, or you get extra money or the yeah. Or there's the there's different. Yeah, there's different bonuses based on the turn order that you pick. 
but there's a there's also an order each turn to determine who picks the turn order. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But we did I that do- part about the mamas and the papas wrong. I didn't realize you got two and you got to pick one. We just dealt out a mama and a papa to everyone. So. Oh really? Yeah. That's, well, okay. That. Uh, all right. Your I'm way sure might it. be right. I'm not saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, we I'm might have that's how we did. I'm not sure. It's a good it rule. A, it was a it was a loner game that we picked oh, up okay. from the, our game library. And who makes this game? Uh, oh, that man. one's done by it's done by the oh. same guy. He's the guy here in St. Louis. The same guy that uh, it's Stonemeyer Games. Uh, James yeah. Stonemeyer. That did side. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. So what's next? You got Pandemic Legacy Season Two. You finished July. Yeah, we finished July. We're into August now, and we still, again, no spoilers, but we haven't seen any huge twists yet. But I think we got a hint that it's coming in August. So we'll see what happens. But so far, Pandemic Season Legacy Season Two feels easier than Season One. Um, it's the mechanics are slightly different. Um, moving around the board is easier. And it just we our our win loss ratio is much better in season two than it was in season one. And maybe maybe part of it is we're lucky and maybe part of it is we're just getting better at playing pandemic. But season two feels easier than season one. Hmm. Yeah. You haven't gotten the zombies yet? Are there zombies? Do they come out? No. Probably not. Well, no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> They're not zombies, but there's somebody. <laughs> All right, cool. And uh, you said the last thing you've got, if you've got Heights of Courage yeah, set sitting, up. Yeah, sitting out on my table, and that's that'll be the next thing I play. I've got it set up, but I don't have it out yet. Mostly what I'm interested in is um, this is my first standard combat series game, and I was just – it looks it looks like the, the, the scale that I'm really interested in. You know, the, the grand strategy games are fun, but sometimes you spend more time doing – you know, supply lines and making sure that you've got economic impact going and not enough time actually moving the guys around. In the tactical games, it's nothing but moving guys around. So hopefully standard combat series. I haven't played operational combat series, but that would be like one step larger. Um, hopefully it'll be a kind of the sweet spot of the, the size of the game. And also this one is uh, Israel 73, and I don't have anything at all from that time period. So... Now, uh, I've played Golan 73 from GMT, which yeah. is a f- fast action battles game. Yeah. Uh, I played it with a friend once, and it was really good. Uh, I liked it. I liked the mechanics. I thought it was easy to learn, and uh, yeah. So I, I would recommend that, too. Yeah. I own, I own the Bulge, but have never brought it to the table. Mm. And I skipped Sicily. I'll pick up Sicily if I see it on sale, just so I can have all three. And but yeah, I was. I so was is very the bulge is that fast action battles too? I know. Yes, it is. Okay. Yep. That there are three in the series with Golan uh, seventy three being the uh, the last one. It's I'm trying. Uh, Michael Gustavuson and Rick Young designed it. Okay. And are those card driven games? Uh, uh, no. It's um these these are uh, block games actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so I really dig that because, like, when you take damage or whatever, you rotate your block to show, like, um, how much damage you've received. I just dig it. It has a really cool thing, and I, I like that time period in history as well. So. Yeah. 
All right, Roy, tell us about Roll for the Galaxy. I've heard so many people talk about playing this game, and I've never played it. I'm almost okay. positive it's uh, you can get it on Steam, too? Uh, maybe. I'm I'll check sorry. that. I don't really know. Okay. So uh, there's Real Grand is the publisher, and uh, there's the game uh, Race for the Galaxy, which ah. is a card game, so that's... Uh, that's a, a role selection uh, game where, like, you can uh, explore. Means you draw a few more cards or settle. Or you're settling a planet. So that's um, so that's it's the card-based version of the game, uh, which is it seems like it's really steep for people to learn, and it's kind of uh, I don't know, not that fulfilling. But uh, Roll for the Galaxy is based in dice and uh, and tiles. So the feel of the game is very similar to Race for the Galaxy, but it, it plays a lot quicker. So we can uh, burn through two games in the space of maybe an hour and a half. Um, so you, ha you draw your starting tiles, and it will give you an extra die or something. Uh, so again, like, uh, like Viticulture, the, each starting hand is a little bit different. So just based on whatever you get, um, you may be more geared towards doing kind of a military strategy or you may be focused on shipping. So you have your, you roll your series of dice and you uh, assign them to rolls. So if you really want to uh, settle, then of course you're going to put as many dice as you can and settle. But the, each die has a different face and um, there's eight different colors of dice. And the, the faces of the different dice are, are kind of weighted different ways. So like military, for example, um, there's, a, I believe, two of the three faces are subtle uh, faces, whereas uh, the consumption dice are more around uh, shipping. So you put the dice into their slots where they're supposed to go, and you say, okay, well, I really want uh, develop to happen because I have this development tile that I want to put down. And you can set that there, so this is what's going to happen. And so then everybody reveals their dice at the same time, and you may take a gamble like, well, I have these goods that I want to ship out, but I don't really want to put, I don't want to make um, ship happen, and hopefully somebody else will. So you kind of look around the table and say, well, okay, well, that player has a bunch of goods that are ready to ship, so maybe they'll pick that, and I'm free to put my die somewhere else so um you you know you draw in tiles from the bag blindly and it's uh have a planet on one side and a development on the other and you kind of say okay well this one i'm going to put and turn this into a planet instead of a development and so you're allocating the dice to the tile and once you have it completed then it goes in your tableau and you're uh playing to 12 tiles there's uh some additional goals that you can play um, to get you know additional points and things, and um, it plays very fast, and the artwork is nice, and the well the dice are okay, um, they're not embossed or, or they're yeah they're not embossed they're just printed on there, um, but uh, it's I enjoy playing that one quite a bit. And how long did you say so it takes to play? It's I'm not sure what the uh, what the the published length of time is but i think we can bust out a couple of games in maybe an hour and a half okay 
So it plays much quicker than Race for the Galaxy. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Now, uh, Roll Through the Ages is another thing you have on here. This is another dice game? Yes. So uh, we actually picked up this game from um, our game library and then carried it down the street to the bar and uh, on a Saturday afternoon and and had a bite and, and uh, played Roll Through the Ages. So there's a game called Through the Ages, which is um, set same artwork, it's you know same theme and everything. Uh, but you're just rolling dice and you have a score sheet. Well, that you um, uh, as you roll the dice, you say, well, okay, I'm gonna take these workers and they're gonna build a monument. So you tick off the little boxes on the monument, and then you have it completed. Um, so it's it's a light game you know there's a little bit of strategy to it but it's um kind of it's it's a pretty casual game that that is conducive to you know eating pizza and drinking beer and that sort of thing beer and pretzels yeah for sure the and and i'm not sure if it's in in print anymore but the dice are oak and they're um those are embossed or burnt in there or something and then the each little uh score board is actually a board with pegs and and wood so it's there's a lot of wooden components um to it and uh uh and there's of course the score sheets uh but uh yeah i enjoy playing that one i've never won at it i usually most games i play i usually lose but (laughs) just the just the fun of uh you know sitting around and and talking and laughing and is 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 reward enough for me that's I yeah I really really win games but I enjoy playing them all the same. Oh yeah, that's that's the best part. Yeah. So what is Saint Petersburg? So Saint Petersburg is oh I'm gonna blank on the publisher. Um, but that is set. Uh, it's kind of the in the czarist era, back in the I don't know the early 1800s, and. Um, so you're uh, recruiting uh, workers, and it's it's you, there's there's four phases that start. So there's the worker phase where you're going to recruit a worker, and so like a shipbuilder, a shipbuilder would cost you seven rubles, and so you pay your seven rubles, you have a shipbuilder, and he provides money at the end of the phase. You can buy another shipbuilder for one less. And then you have six money at the end of the phase that you're going to get. And uh, fur trappers are will cost you four, I believe. And so you're kind of building up this this clientele of workers, and you're also building buildings, and it's the same sort of deal. Like so, like a market will cost you eight, but a second market will cost you seven, and a third market will cost you six. And uh, then you, there's upgrade cards that that uh, you can add on, and so it's a game that's really very kind of driven around money, and it's uh, it, you know, in the in the uh, book it says this is a game that has money shortages kind of uh, as part of the game mechanic. So it's very much about managing. Well, okay, I'm going to spend a lot of money for. The, the mistress of ceremonies will cost me 17 but she's going to pay me back 
you know, five, I think, something like that, at the end of the phase. So you say, okay, well, I've, I just need to make sure that I have enough money for this phase that's coming up because there might be something in there that I want. So you have to kind of balance the, the spending versus the, uh, uh, the income that you're going to gonna reap from it. So, so are you yeah, I, Oh, yes? Are you building a city? Because you, you talk about like entertainers and fur traders and builders. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you're, you're kind of building up a tableau of, of um, the nobles, the, so like an author. Um, and oh, okay. At the, end of, at the end of the game, you um, the number of, of uh, nobles that you have is kind of uh, gives you kind of a point bump. Uh, and uh, you're, there's a score tracker around the outside of the board, so you're gaining points every phase, too. So like a particular card or uh, a noble or a building will give you uh, an amount of money and amount of points. Uh, but I, I've played this game several times, and this is the first time I ended up with so much money the last time I played it. And I now I'm wondering if there was something not right, because I've never been that that flush at the end of that game. So yeah, uh, St. Petersburg is a quite a nice game. I like that one. So the next part we got is... Oh, okay, let me try that again. What have you been playing, Roy? Or Adam? I have been... I have been playing nothing. Not nothing. <laughs> You've been doing spelling bees. <laughs> yeah. A lot of work uh, lately, and I'm actually... Um, I've been working on uh, a Twitch channel more than anything. I built a new PC and doing some stuff like that and uh i actually have been thinking about doing the podcast live stream it on twitch yeah and uh just seeing how that goes but i'm kind of scared that it will be too much of a drag and one of the other will crap out i mean the the main thing i want is the recording to be safe the audio recording and uh i'm scared that if i've got too much stuff going on that it will just pop out so yeah that's what i've been doing haven't been hadn't got a chance to play i've actually been cleaning out stuff um i have gaming add like if something (laughs) sounds really interesting i want to buy it especially if it goes on sale um i buy rule books to just read them i to read the background and we'll talk about that in a minute all the rpg books i bought and um but I, I'll do it with games. I'm like, oh, this game is awesome, and I'll buy the rule book, and I'm like, oh, it's really, really cool. I have to get two forces so I can have somebody to play with. And, uh, yeah, so I end up with kind of like a lot of stuff that never gets used, and I have got a bunch of 40K stuff, Warhammer 40,000 by Games Workshop. I have a lot of that that I've gotten t- just too much of, and I've been kind of putting it out on eBay today. And selling some of it locally. I think what really motivated me kind of with it was... Um, it's... A guy that I used to game with a hundred years ago kind of came back into the scene. And I just really think he's gaming cancer. And so um, mm. I'm like, well, if he's playing that, I don't really want to play it. So I'm going to kind of back off and put a bunch of this stuff out for sale. And if he disappears in a few months, I'll play with what I already have. You know, that's just kind of a thing you have to worry about. 
Now, there's been a number of guys in my past that I haven't wanted to play with. I've never gone so far as to sell anything because of them. Is it, <laughs> well, so I've, I've gotten too much. To say I'm not playing with you. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just gonna, well. It's it's not just playing with the guy, but just the fact that like he's the guy. Not only is he cancer, but he's there all the time. He's the kind of guy that he only lives for this game. Every joke he tells is related to this game. Every story that he tells, it's all related to this game. And so he's at the shop every day. You know, and so, well, if I play something different, if I play something else, I don't have to get around it. And I'll just kind of just see how it goes. But, I mean, honest, the truth is, I had a Tau army, a Death Corps of Krieg army, Eldar, Dark Angels, and I think that, I think that's about it. That's four right there. So... I need to drop those by, like, two, at least. And I have uh, too many Age of Sigmar armies. I have the little steampunk dwarves, whatever they're called, the new guys, Lizardmen, and Skaven. So I'm, I put the, the Lizardmen on eBay. <laughs> so, yeah, cool. it's just just got too much, you know, and I can use that money to buy something else. A lot of people in my area are interested in Infinity at the moment, and so I'm more interested in that. So you say that you have some 40k armies that you're hoping to part with? Oh yeah, I okay. uh, yeah I have um, my Deathcore Krieg army I put up on which that stuff's Forge World, which that's about the only thing you can actually get some of what you put back in. Uh, so I have it listed on eBay, and I have the Age of Sigmar army listed on eBay. Oh yeah, and I have a whole bunch of Warhammer 30k from the Horus Heresy. I have a huge pile of it all on the sprue that uh, I was looking to get rid of. And uh, so I have it listed on Barter Town, and a guy's interested in that. So that's basically what I've been doing is kind of cleaning out. But I still have tons of crap, man. Tons and tons and tons of crap. Always will. (laughs) So the next thing we have is what's on your radar. It's just kind of a little segment where we talk about things that have kind of uh, came just showing up and be like, oh yeah, this sounds neat. What is this? What is this? It just And so, the first thing I had was this um, game called Kenzie. K-E-N-S-E-I. It's, I love fantasy Japan. I'm a big fan of um, Legend of the Five Rings, and this is kind of a um, this is a tabletop kind of version of that. And I really just like the look because it's it to me it basically looks like a miniature version of the L5R game, which there used to be called Clan War about 30 years ago. But yeah, and this is a company called Zenit Miniatures. They're out of Spain, and I want to say they do one other game that I can't think of. I think they have a post-apocalyptic game, but uh, yeah, I just dig fantasy Japan, you know. It's samurai with wizards and undead and stuff like that. So Yeah, it looks really good, and it doesn't look that expensive either, which is nice. Um, and are all those pre-painted? No. Okay, because no, 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 no. on the website, everything's painted, and I was just curious yeah. about that. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I'm going to say you can always assume that hardly anybody will, will do that. If you see it, they, they've had 
they paid somebody a lot of money to to paint them and to look nice to help sell it. In the past, there have been a few companies that have done pre-painted stuff, pre-painted miniatures. The most popular one that I can remember was AT43. AT-43. I have AT-43. <laughs> yep. I had then, a ton of it because I thought it was the coolest freaking thing ever. Those were the best looking pre-paints I've ever seen. Yep. And uh, uh, the the sculpts were cool, you know. Not everybody was feeling, you know, the space monkeys, but whatever I was, they looked cool. I have a and, space uh, monkeys army. The really? Captars. Yes. I yes, do. the Captars. Yeah. But I really, really dug that and bought into it big time because some of the big, large pieces that they did were really, really cool. But their big giant walkers and stuff—it all looked really, really neat. And I don't know what happened. For whatever reason... Well, Rackham yeah. kind of folded up business. Ah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I forget Rackham was was behind that. Yeah, they just went tits up and... Yep. yep. And, but yeah, you don't see a lot of prepaints nowadays because it kind of ups the cost. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the one exception to that is, is X-Wing, which is... That was my first uh... miniatures game, so I thought, like, oh, I guess they just all come painted. And I realized, no, that's the exception. <laughs> Mage that's Knight, true. That's true. Back in the day. Yes, yes. I forgot about Mage Knight. That was like the first one yeah. I ever remember. And uh, I want to say currently, I think Dust Tactics may be the only thing that's that's kind of major that's pre-painted, but I'm not sure that it is. And that, uh, that I believe maybe spun out of AT43. I'm not sure. It, it definitely looks like it, but I think FFG owns it now. Okay. But uh, I, I know they were at Gen Con last year. Oh, no, they're not pre-painted. They are assembled and basically base-coated. Like, the Germans are gray, mm -hmm. and the Americans are green. And then they have like just like a couple of stickers applied to them. That's it. And so you, I guess technically you can paint it more and make it look nice, but yeah. AT, uh, Dust Tactics is, mm -hmm. yeah, from FFG. Uh, I'm almost done painting Imperial Assault now, and I'm, now that I'm starting to get semi-competent at it, I'm realizing how much fun it is and why people actually put all the time and effort into it, so. After my first set of Stormtroopers, I thought, well, these look terrible. Why does anyone waste time on this? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know those picture galleries that I see on on like on the Warhammer subreddit. Yeah. I just I see this stuff, and you know, there's some art that you look at and inspires you, and some art that I look at, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just totally demoralized because I can never do anything that looks as awesome as this. So that yeah. <laughs> It's, it's kind of like a, one of my favorite jokes on the internet in the tabletop gaming sites are people that have posted quote-unquote pro-painted stuff like on ebay or whatever yeah. and they're just terrible <laughs> completely and utterly terrible I, i'll list my stuff as painted but you know uh i'll never and i'll just take good pictures and that's up for you to decide whether or not you consider it a good job or not it's a pro it's, house it's, painter yes yes <laughs> absolutely so yeah 
So, moving on, our next thing was... Oh, yeah, I bought a bunch of RPGs on, dri- on Drive-Thru RPG. And I'm just going to kind of just run through them because I spent a ton of money. Essentially, what happened was Drive-Thru RPG had a Game Master Week sale. It's They do a couple of sales a year, and this is one of them. And so, it was a lot of stuff. Was it 30% off or better? And I bought, like, the Shadowrun core rulebook of the Apocalypse World rulebook um, and a couple of other extra stuff. I got, oh, a Mutant Year Zero. That looked really cool. I got a PDF copy. Uh, all of these are PDFs, by the way, and of Wraith the Oblivion, if you remember that one, by White Wolf from okay. way back yep. in the day. And, uh, yeah, that was about it. You know, I just picked up a couple of... Uh, some novels from like Eclipse Phase and some older stuff. A couple of things added into like um, Numeria. I picked up a couple of extra things like that. But yeah, I think I spent like $175. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's what's great is it's it's all in the cloud. That's where it is. It's in the cloud and it's not taking up space yeah. next to me. Yeah, drive through RPG is great because and then if. If anything, it should happen to any of your your stuff, and you know you've got it downloaded or whatever. You can always it's like Steam where you can always download it again as well. So, yeah, I've now, I've bought a lot of stuff from Drive Through RPG as well. I went through a spree last year where I was buying some Numenera and uh, Cipher System stuff, and I got everything on Drive Through RPG, and I just I read it all on my iPad. Now, Adam, didn't you reveal at one point that you don't role play a whole lot? Do you, do you like no, the lore? I do. That's 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 like what I do. I just okay. read the lore, and and right. I've I've always done that. I've so often thought of for you, yes, yes. Okay. It's just reading material. All right. Um, and of course, there's the added bonus of hey, maybe one day you you could you know do this. Mm-hmm. I've I've often wanted to like write out like my perfect way of approaching role playing. Like we'll just call it like the the Adam Chance role playing thing. This should be a one cheat thing. And essentially what it is is you have one meetup where you just bullshit and talk and all this stuff and you roll up all your characters, alright? And then you agree to have three to five more meetings, tops. And each meeting will only take place two out there'll be two hours. Like they'll start sharp at say 7 p.m. and it's pencils down at 9 p.m. <laughs> that is the only way I could do it because every time I've tried to to do role playing okay first of all there's the whole thing of hey I want to ro- hey I want to do this I want to role play and they're like oh my gosh the the weird guy wants to run it <laughs> you know that that really really weird guy in the shop he wants to run it and they're like oh man I don't know I don't I don't really want to play not because he's really really weird and there's that and then there's the everybody just kind of flakes out. And that's yes. just the way it is. Like, you'll start with, like, six or eight people wanting to go, and then, like, everybody is missing. Everybody is like, oh, I can't make it next week. Oh, I can't make it next week. And it just falls apart. They either it From just listening to people talk, role-playing either turns out to be, number one, 
one of the best experiences you've, you've ever had and you'll carry these memories with you to the day you die or it just all falls apart. The, and, uh, yeah. The pitfall of the adult gamer. Yeah. yeah. Family and work and, yeah. For sure. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I don't know. I just, I just can't do it. I... I have like just ADD period. I can't sit down and play a uh, a video game for more than like an hour and a half, two hours, and I'm done. I got to get up and go do something else. I can come back to it an hour or two later, but uh, I just can't. And so, I typically you know, rage from... quit after uh, 45 minutes and then come back <laughs> to it later. And, and you know, uh, people talk about like uh, game masters get mad when like people get on their phones and and stuff like that because you know and they just don't pay attention until it's their turn or whatever. And I'm like, well, maybe you're making things just a little, I don't know, more complicated. I don't know, but that's just me <laughs> with it. I know people love it and it's just, you know it's awesome and it's been the greatest thing that ever happened to them. And uh, I it's I can't do it. Like I said, I could maybe do it where we did two two-hour games three days a week, something like that, and yeah, and then that'd be it. But no. Have you played this con I mean, before? No, and that's what I was just fixing to say. Is I've thought about doing it, but when I looked at like at Gen Con, for example, like because they're like, oh, there's this game I've always wanted to try out. It's a four-hour commitment. Yeah. So I'm I've paid you know a hundred and fifty dollars to for three days and you're literally gonna take this game is gonna take up half a day. Mm-hmm. It would have to be just incredible, you know, in my opinion. It would just have to be so freaking awesome, you know. But I just I don't know. I can't risk it. No, I had a friend that would if there was a game that he wasn't feeling, <laughs> he'd gather up all of his stuff and say, "I'm going to the bathroom." And just never come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I, I'm taking my books. Why are you taking your books with you? Just just in case. I don't trust yep. you guys. <laughs> yeah, the other thing about playing at a con is it's it's obviously it's going to be a one-shot. And one-shots just aren't as much fun as playing over several sessions and having character development. So Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Now, uh, uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum with miniature gaming. Yeah. From, from what I've seen at, at cons, people will get into a tournament for the con that takes up the entire con. Like, basically, they have Friday night, and then they're playing, like, or, or usually not. They're playing a game Friday night, all day Saturday, and a game Sunday afternoon. So I'm like, you paid $150 to just come to this tournament. That's it. You didn't even get a chance to go through the dealer room. You didn't go to a panel. Nothing, you know, nothing. All you did was this one tournament. I can't do that either. I'm like, <laughs> nah. I got to be able to walk around yeah. and look and stuff like that. I I can do, you know, an afternoon, a, a tournament. I would much rather be able to. I, I go to cons mainly to look for like different stuff. Like, oh, you're playing Infinity or this game over here that I've always heard about. Can I watch? You, you're doing a demo. Can I see? Oh, I've always wanted to play this board game. You know, mm-hmm. let's sit down and play it. So, you know, that kind of thing. So, anyway, moving on to, uh, well, before we get to that, Roy, you've been playing uh, this War of Mine, the board game? Well, I've not been playing it, but I saw it at my uh, my uh, game store, and it it seems interesting to me. 
It's uh, so there, apparently there's a, a computer game or an app. Yeah, I've got it on. Uh, I've got it on iPad. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a it was a computer game first, then there was a sequel called the This War of Mine, the little ones, then an iOS game called This War of Mine, and now a board game. Okay. The uh, the board game, well, and apparently the other games seem very bleak. And oh yeah. It's, um, so actually, I I, I watched a, a YouTube review of it, and the guy the well, I'm just it was. Uh, uh, Tom Vassell was saying, you know, this is a this is a bleak game, and you have to make hard choices about, you know, am I gonna how horrific am I gonna be to stay alive? So it 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 seems interesting to me, but it's it, you know you don't come away with it feeling good about yourself, um, or you know about the the poor choices you made. Um, so it's it seems very much kind of a political statement, the the game. Um, but it looks compelling. Yeah, uh, for people that, that don't know, it's, it takes place during the war in Sarajevo in, what was it, the late 80s maybe? Yeah. Early 90s? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's based on that, but the actual game is one of those in an un, unnamed, uh, unnamed uh, Eastern European country. Okay. Inspired by. Yeah. Yep. So it's... Uh, I've been watching through uh, uh, um, The Walking Dead lately, and a lot of the same, you know, tough choices that, that people have to make in that show kind of feels like the same sort of thing in this board game. That, you know, yeah, just very bleak. Oh, so, yeah, and bas- basically for people that are listening that don't don't know what it is, is you're basically a civilian in the middle of a war zone, a group of civilians, like living in a rundown apartment complex or whatever. So you've got to scavenge for food without getting killed, uh, water, medicine, whatever. Uh, guys will break down your door and take, you know, take your stuff or press you into military service, you know? And so it's, it's all this, it's horrible. It's this awful, awful thing of you just trying to survive. Yeah, and you get choices in the game like, okay, somebody just came over to you and said, we need help. Do you want to give up one of your people for a day to help someone else, or do you want to just say, no, forget you, you can die? You know, Do you want to rob someone so that you can get medicine to save your roommate? Or It's it's all interesting choices like that. There's a, the, the game comes with a um, two books that uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a read you know read this page and then play out those scenes and then pass so it's a uh, and there's the the uh, what's it called the 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 book of scripts has uh, some game mechanics and it's sort of a choose your own adventure sort of thing in the book uh, so there's a day phase and a night phase and uh, you know, so if you yeah, if you have a sentry that's that's uh, watching the house, then the night phase, the raiders might come and and uh, uh, kick the crap out of that sentry. So yeah, it's it's very kind of freeform is was what the review was saying, and you know, there's no points, there's no the victory condition is that you're alive at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So it's, it so, seems to be a thing that would just kind of uh, is meant to 
start conversations. Yeah, and definitely it was something different. Nobody yeah. had done anything like it. And in fact, there is a new video game coming out that is similar. It takes place in uh, post-apocalyptic, some kind of, I want to say it's sort of steampunk, but it's uh, a winter apocalypse. And so you're this group of people, you are in charge of a settlement like around uh, a thermal vent. And you're just trying to provide heat and stuff like that. So you have to make decisions like, well, do I want to implement child labor? You know, <laughs> that that kind of stuff. And then a kid gets hurt or killed. And so your people get angry. And so, yeah, it's, it's this whole thing. And I'll figure out the name of that and post the link in the show notes. But, uh, yeah. Oh. Rich, minute, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I had one more thing that, thing that was on my radar. Sure. And it's not a board game, but it's a book that I quite enjoyed. And it's called We Are Legion, We Are Bob. Um, and so the, the story is about this guy by the name of Bob Johansson, and he's a software engineer. And he creates this uh, engineering software that does really well, and he gets his company gets bought by another company, so he is flush with cash. So he decides that he's going to, and this is all in the very beginning of the book, so no spoilers here. Um, he, uh, he decides that he's going to have his head uh, cryogenically frozen upon his death. The next day, he gets hit by a car and then wakes up 117 years later as an AI. And so he gets recruited by the people that, he, that, that revived him to be the, the driving AI behind a space probe that goes out into the stars to uh, uh, look for habitable planets and colonize them. And it's, uh, in the, it feels very much like Ready Player One because it's kind of has, there's a lot of uh, pop culture references in it, not nearly as much as Ready Player One. But um, it's, I, I really enjoyed the book, and uh, it's a trilogy, so I'm going to be moving on to the next one. And that book is called uh, We Are Legion, parentheses, We Are Bob. And it's the first book in a trilogy by Dennis Taylor, I believe is the author. It's been recommended to me from by Audible uh, yeah. several times, and I think I have it in my wish list, or I've or I've actually bought the first one. I cannot remember, uh, but yeah, it's been on my list for a while. It's definitely on my Goodreads list, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm. I haven't heard of that. It sounds interesting, though. Yeah. All right, so, I'm Rich. Back. Yeah, Rich, you've got a miniature market showroom. I can't tell you how insanely jealous I am. I know it's so nice. I mean, even before they had the showroom, you know, that the warehouse is is ten minutes from me, so I used to just go down there and pick stuff up and shave. You know, if I wanted something, I could just place an order and have it in my hands in half an hour, which is nice. But yeah, they actually just opened up a new showroom, and it is huge and it's amazing. They've got way more. So the old probably no one listening this is from st louis their old showroom used to be really tiny um and mostly the only reason you would go down there is if you ordered something from the warehouse to pick it up but their new showroom has tons of games in it much right now they for sure have the best showroom in st louis um but and then in addition to that they have a huge game room as well with tons of tables set up and uh and they have Star Wars Legion on the table, which is nice. So I actually got to put my hands on that. And we talked before about 
how the last time I talked to them, they were saying they weren't sure when they were going to be able to fit it in. But it looks like Tuesdays are going to be Star Wars nights for them. So they're going to have Armada, X-Wing, and Legion, and Imperial Assault if anyone wants to play it. So Tuesdays will be Star Wars nights there. So that's where I will be. Yeah, I think in my area it's Thursdays, and uh, that's kind of where I want to stick my uh, my lead. Yeah. Uh, night is is in there yeah it's honestly like even the owners of my local shop they've just gotten too popular they're like we ran out of nights the freaking shop is packed all the time and so we're just trying to juggle you know and make sure nobody's mad or you know anything and everybody gets enough space to do it they're like you know it's just the problem of being successful i guess it's a good problem to have Yes, it really, really is. Because I remember that the shop that was there before then, you know, it was dead all the time. Moving on to news. Um, I just kind of tossed this at the beginning of the news thing because uh, somebody in one of the local wargaming uh, sites I peruse got a copy of Champion Hill. And it just kind of reminded me of, like, I was just curious, do you guys have a board game that's, like, based in your area? I don't think that I do. I looked, and you know, Missouri had a number of Civil War battles, but nothing, nothing big. And the the few battles that were even moderately sized, I don't, I don't think that there's any games for. And nothing in St. Louis, there were no battles here or anything like that. So I, I don't think that we do. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a war game, I guess. You know. You could be like you if you lived in Carcassonne. Yeah, you have that. You know. Well, we're we're probably on Ticket to Ride, so I'm sure St. Louis is on the <laughs> Ticket to Ride board. That that's a good <laughs> that is that is a very good point. Uh, I from where I am in South Mississippi, yeah, Champion Hill is actually a very small battle, and I think there's only like a couple of board games that actually cover it. Uh, there's like one Vicksburg game. And uh, I think that's about I own that one. I have never brought it to the table. <laughs> I've had it for probably 15 years. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's been about it. And I guess you can go further south. I think there's been a couple of games on Battle of New Orleans. Oh, and the Battle of Pensacola, which is, yeah, there's been one or two of them uh, recently. So, uh, yeah, just curious if you guys had anything, you know. It could be a shipping game or something like that, but, you know. Anyway, moving on. And, uh, oh, yeah, this was, like, really, really big news uh, in the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm not surprised, but I have a lot of opinions here, and, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Essentially, the Robotech Kickstarter was a complete clusterfuck. Total disaster. Uh, Palladium Books uh, put did this Kickstarter. They had they they had the um, license for Robotech. And if you don't know what Robotech is, it was one of the first big anime franchises to hit the U.S. It was about the mid to late '80s. I remember friends rushing home after school to catch it. You know, even like fat kids that would like be running just to get home so they they could, you know, make it to it. It was was that big of a deal. And um, so it's, you know, kind of heavy in our psyche. And they were, Palladium has had an RPG off and on since like the mid-80s. 
uh, for Robotech, and they wanted to do a tactics miniature game. And so they did a Kickstarter for this and raised $1.4 million. It was successfully funded in 2013, and here we are five years later, they have lost the license. It like expires, I think, July 1, and they are unable to meet the second half of the Kickstarter. So I, I think the first thing I have to say is like, well, number one, it's a Kickstarter. When you back a Kickstarter, you literally flip a coin as to whether or not it's going to go. Now, you can argue that, like, oh, hey, this company, you know, is is who is Palladium or whoever. They've been around forever, and, they, you know, surely they won't screw me over. Nah, it's, it's, you've got a good chance of that happening. It, it happens all the time. And I hate the whole idea of a Kickstarter anyway. I really, really do. Because I don't want to prepay for something. Why couldn't Palladium go to a bank or save their profit from like the role-playing game and foot the bill for the stuff themselves to take the risk? I mean, before Kickstarter came along, that's how things happened. Why has things changed? You know, uh, yeah, I just don't get it. As I, I fully remember when companies just put it out, and I get really, really mad when big companies try to do a Kickstarter. I, I mean, can you imagine, like, if FFG tried to do a Kickstarter? I'd be mad as hell. I'm like, you guys got plenty of money. What what, what are you doing? Because I think the last one that pissed me off was Mongoose Publishing did a Kickstarter for uh, a new version, a Traveler box set. And when they announced it, I commented on it. I was like, you guys are an established company an established, successful company, and Traveler is an established, successful IP, why do you want to do have us prepay for it? And they argue, oh, it's it's just so we can, you know, provide, you know, blah, 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 and listen to you guys at every aspect of it, and just whatever. You know, you just want me to prepay for it, and that annoys me. So what's been I your personal experience? Go ahead, Roy. Kickstarter? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I would suspect that it's from a, a kind of a financial standpoint, it's a way for them to um, kind of they're they're putting the risk on the on the uh, the the backers. So I mean that's that's why they don't do it is it's, it's so they don't have to go to a bank and put up collateral and then they're on the hook for all that if it doesn't go. Yeah, and that's true. I think the point of it is to. To know that you have an interest before you start production. Yeah. Yep. And I know, you know, you look like someone like Monty Cook, who is now, I mean, everything he does is on Kickstarter now. He just kickstarts everything. And, um, you know, Numenera 2 is, I think that Kickstarter might be over, hasn't come out yet. But, you know, Numenera is a... It's not the most popular RPG, but it's popular enough. He's got the Cypher system. He's got plenty of published books that you can find in any game store. But he still kickstarts every new project that he has. So, you know, I don't know. Um, like you said, someone like FFG, if they were to come out, it would, it would definitely look strange. But I think maybe Monty Cook, even though he's successful, he's definitely not big. I mean, his company's probably like him and five other people, so... 
That's true. Now look, that that dude, I swear, invents a new <laughs> setting and role playing system once a month yeah. at least. It, it's ridiculous. He has Numeria. He has the Strange. Yeah. And at least two more well, that I can think of because I looked at a lot of them yeah. on that drive-through set. There's Numenera. There's the Strange. The Cipher system is the system that's behind all of them. And then there's one. It's like prehistoric futuristic, like time travelers going back to dinosaur times. I can't remember oh, what that one's called. It's, it starts with a, it starts with a P. I have it. Actually. Predation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. So yeah, that's another and one. I, <laughs> I thought it was neat because one of the mechanics is, and gosh, I haven't played this. Forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. Somebody's going to yell at their uh, radio. Um, one, I was told the reason why I bought it. And I haven't read it. Uh, one of the mechanics is is like you have a, a little pet dinosaur yes. guy that is controlled by another player. Yes. So you all control by, each other's pets. Yes. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a really cool <laughs> yeah. mechanic. So uh, I was like, wow, that's neat. I'll buy this and you know read it. So yeah. yeah. So what what have been your personal experience with the Kickstarter? You ever had anything blow up on you that you paid for? I, my very first Kickstarter is wobbling. It, it's it's wobbling right now, mm. and um, I'll you know I'll I'll link this in the in the show notes, and you'll see uh, what it is. I'm actually pulling it up right now, so I'm stalling for time. I'll edit this out. It's fine. It'll seem real cool. <laughs> uh, Shat- Shattered Void, the uh, sci-fi dogfighting game by White Dragon Miniatures. Huh. It's wobbling. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, cause it was, sub- we were supposed to get our stuff, I want to say, uh, December 2016. Mm. So a year has passed. Now, the guy has not clammed up or anything. He, he will come out and he will talk, you know, he does, but people, Start dump, but it's kind of in response that people just start dumping tons and tons of comments of like, "Hey, I haven't heard anything," and you know, there you go. And what's really, really angry, it, and this pisses people off, there'll be kickstarters for companies that have not delivered, and then that company will turn around and start another Kickstarter. Yeah. Or, or selling other stuff, and people get mad. They're like, what are you doing? You should be working on my thing that you haven't delivered. Yeah. So but, what are the uh, guarantees other... for somebody? No. Oh, sorry. Go that's, yeah, that, dude, that, that, that's the thing. Is That's the scary thing about Kickstarter. You will have to personally sue, say, Monty Cook. Say he puts <laughs> out his next, his next thing, and he just takes the money and runs off to Aruba. You know, he raises $10 million and runs off to Aruba. You have no, you would have to personally sue him. Kickstarter is going to do nothing for you. So you're going to have to, I would have to file a civil suit in Mississippi court and go through all that to try to get, say I backed at the $500 level to get my money back. I would, I would have to do that. And there are many famous Kickstarter cases of people raising tons of money and never delivering and just laughing all the way to the bank. Wow. How come that hasn't gone to court yet? I I don't know if it has. I'm definitely going to do some research, and I'll post it in the show notes if, if it actually has happened. But Kickstarter absolves themselves 
completely of it. They're like, look, we just take a cut. They take, I don't know, 10, 15, 20%, whatever, 5%, whatever it is of the money raised. And then it's just between you and, say, Monty Cook. But I've backed a ton of stuff that I'm just waiting. I actually had a delivery last week. I guess I should have mentioned that. <laughs> um, because it was weird. I, it, because these things take so long to do, I'll forget I even backed it. Like, I'll get my PDF reward and just think, oh, okay, that's what I got. And do, do, do. And then six months later, a physical book arrives. I'm like, oh, I must have did that. I And what I have <laughs> in my hand right now is Tiny Dungeon by Alan Barr. It's just a minimalist, you know, where it's at the bare minimum. There's, minimalist? There's not a lot of minimal, mim, minimalist yeah. role-playing game. Yeah. So it's a very small book where you're fantasy and you're just supposed to do it. Anyway, I forgot I even backed a uh, physical copy of it until it showed up. So, I mean, that happens. And I see that with people like, oh, yeah, I forgot I backed this board game. And uh, I will say uh, the other thing is people – a lot of people will kickstart and think this is the only way I'm getting this game. And that's not necessarily true. Nine times out of ten, I would say, in my personal opinion, that game will eventually make its way to retail stores. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense from a, I mean, from a money-picking point of view why it wouldn't go to stores. If you have a product and people want to buy it, you're not going to say, well, no, I'm only selling it in the past. I'm done making money off this. <laughs> You know, I mean, <laughs> that's the way supply and demand works. If people want it, someone's going to make it. So I got enough for my pool and I'm all. Yeah, <laughs> right now. Um, currently, the one I am betting will arrive that I did not kickstart because it was ridiculous dollar wise was um, Joan of Arc. I saw it at um, Gen Con. And watch the demo of it. It's called Time of Legends, Joan of Arc by Mythic Games. And um, I was really stoked for it. It's 15 millimeter fantasy. It's a hex-based board. Like, everything about it. This thing was ridiculous. I'm trying to see the dollar amount that they raised. It, it was a lot. A lot, a lot. Okay. Wow. Okay, you found yeah. that. <laughs> I looked, I looked, I couldn't find it. And it was like the minimal, the minimum thing you could do if you missed the early bird thing was $120. Yeah, so that $2.0 million comes from less than 1,000 people. It only, ha only yeah. has 90, I'm sorry, less than 10,000 people. It only has 99.87 backers, so yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing the, uh, the $120 pledge, which was the maiden pledge. That gets you a box. Uh, two exclusive miniatures and the unlocked stretch goals. That was eight thousand one hundred and twenty-two people paid one hundred and twenty dollars to get that. For two, you get two hundred and thirty-eight miniatures. So my argument with that is, is like I'm like one hundred twenty bucks is too expensive. I, I don't want to do that. And people are like, oh no, this is the only way you're going to get it. And I'm like, no, I'm really sure it's not. If they raise that kind of cash, it'll make it to retail. And I'll buy it for 20, 30, 50% off eventually. That's just the way it happens. 
you aren't really getting that good of a deal sometimes uh, on a Kickstarter. The famous one I'll put out as an example, you can look up Sedition Wars Battle for Alabaster. This was a Kickstarter from 2012 from Cool Mini or Not, I think. And they raised almost a million dollars. And so for 80 bucks plus $25, oh, sorry, $25 international shipping. So it's $89.99. I'm sorry, for 80 bucks, what's your pledge? And ship free in the U.S., you get a copy of the rule book. And I think, like, some the uh, copy of the game and blah, 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 and whatever that they, they came up with. I bought a copy of this game on sale from Cool Mini or Not for 20 bucks. <laughs> 20 bucks. Leftover stock. $20. So, how many people spent, let's see, 80 bucks? 55 people did. The, the big thing was $100 or more you got like a special figure and a sexy you got a, a sexy vanguard patch 3454 people paid that for $80 less okay granted i didn't get a sexy vanguard patch but yeah i got the freaking game for $20 you know for $80 less than you guys did <laughs> what kills me though is like people the the big things they've got on here and if you look at this and i'll have it linked in the show notes there are two people backed this game at over $2,000 a piece. That's where you get yourself designed as a Vanguard or Strain and, uh, miniature and inserted in. Two grand. One person backed three grand. <laughs> and one guy backed five grand. So this was, I mean, this is 2012. This was, there were not, honestly, not a lot that many being done on Kickstarter, I don't think, back then. That was, what, six years ago? But, yeah, it's a thing. And I guess if you're ever wondering about, like, hey, what kind of crazy person will do that? I actually met a guy locally who backed um, one of those games. Dadgummit, I cannot think of the name of it. It's one of those fiddly ones where it has miniatures and it had, like, a little special pin that tracked damage uh, and stuff, oh, and it had an app. Gollum something uh, or other. Yes, Gollum something. He backed that, and like his face is on one of the cards and all this stuff. He backed it at you know umpteen whatever, and that game just just tits up gone. Yeah, they did that with Pavlov's house too, where you can a certain number of people got their their face on some of the the counters or whatever. So. So, yeah, it's, I mean, Kickstarter is just kind of, hmm. I think looking at my Kickstarter list, I think I'm wait, currently waiting on, like, eight or ten things, most of them coming this year. But I've kind of gotten where, you know, since I buy things to read, I generally go for the PDF option. Yeah. Usually I'm, I'm only out, like, 20 bucks, and I get a PDF of the game, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's cool, and I, I could read that. And, uh, in fact, there's one coming up in just a couple of seconds, uh, a couple of minutes. We'll take a look at, and I'll talk about that. So, moving on, the next thing we had was Paizo announces a partnership with Roll20 Virtual Tabletop uh, for Pathfinder and Starfinder. 
and I wanted to ask you guys, have you, I know you guys do Vassal, uh, have you tried uh, Roll20 or the Virtual Tabletop? I have right, never no, done, I have not. nope, I haven't done Roll20 or Virtual Tabletop, uh, I just, anytime I play an RPG, it's it's just got to be face-to-face. I will say, looking at the software, they're really, really nice. Just in the sense of it's it's all smooth, everything's there, everything's intuitive. The negative, though, they will nickel and dime you to death. It's you buy, say you buy the Pathfinder set, and that may get you a little bit of stuff. And you want to play this particular module, where you're going to have to pay to buy that module for Roll20. Maybe you want um, another uh, map set. You've got to buy that. Maybe you want um, the beast or a particular icon for your character. You've got to buy all of that. And you just kind of get nickeled and dimed with it. I mean, if that's what you want to do and if that's your only way of playing it, then I guess it's worth it to you because, I mean, it's cheaper than buying... I will say it is cheaper they're buying miniatures and and whatnot but yeah yeah and rpgs in general i mean i think most of the time the the gm or the dm or whoever it is ends up buying most of the stuff but from what i've seen these guys that play online with roll 20 you've got to have the group contribute to that i mean it's just it's it's just too expensive for the gm to buy everything not to mention you may some of them require like a um subscription yeah like, like for $60, you may get the GM thing, and then up to, say, four people yeah. can play with you. And if you want to do it past that, they have to buy. I want I have one of them, Shadow something. They actually moved it. It's You can get it on Steam now with all the different... Um, you can buy all the icons and stuff through uh, Steam. And it started with an S, and I can't think of it. Anyway, um, I guess I'll yeah I'll try to figure it out and post it in the show notes. But yeah, it it's kind of neat that you can because the stuff goes on sale on Steam, sure. So you can get it all, and it's all just kind of dropped in right there. Yeah, put it on your wish that list kind of and wait till you get the email. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely right. So that leads into um, I guess it surprised me because I wasn't expecting it because I heard no whispers about it. But uh, I guess it's about time. Uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition has been announced. Yeah, and it came pretty quickly after Starfinder, too, which I think is another reason that made it surprising. Starfinder just came out last year, right? Yeah, it was released at Gen yeah. Con last yeah. year. Which uh, people are assuming that this version of Pathfinder will be like Starfinder, you know, in that regard. Yeah. I I was like, well, how long has it been? And I look, it's 2008. Wow, yeah. Pathfinder. Yeah, because it was Are obviously you... before D&D 4, and that was, yeah. For those of you that don't know, Pathfinder is essentially D&D 3.5 edition. It was so good that they are like, no, 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 we can't, you, you know, you shouldn't move on to 4th edition. We've got to keep going with this and so it was like the open gaming license OGL at that time uh-huh. so Paizo just grabbed this and ran with it and just you know became this huge competitor for D&D 
now, man, if people want to play, generally, it's like, well... But I guess, honestly, most people play both. But there are purists on both sides as to which one they do. Yeah. Do you guys have any experience playing Pathfinder? Yeah, I've played it. Then the good and the bad thing about Pathfinder is that it's just so big. There's so much of it. There's so many splat books. There's so many extras and add-ons to it that it's it's overwhelming. But that's also the good thing because there are so many options for anyone that wants to try any crazy thing. Um, Pathfinder's also, and this this is partially because of the way it's designed and partially just because of the age of the system, um, there's very much uh, you kind of have to build your character the right way in order to you know, stay competitive at the power level of the monsters you're fighting to. So um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's it's a design choice. It's it's different from what you're seeing in the more modern RPGs like starting with D&D 5th edition. Well, I won't say starting with D&D 5th edition, but D&D 5th edition, Numenera, um, a lot of the more free-flow RP, the Star Wars F- FFG system, the more free-flowing games are very much not like that anymore. Hmm, interesting. I will say uh, I've always found I can always point out Pathfinder artwork, and you can see oh, yeah. it on the front front cover. It's always it's very pointy. It's it always has many sharp angles and stuff on it. Is is what I always think of. I don't know who actually draws their main stuff, but it always seems very pointy to me. I mean that's a dumb thing to <laughs> notice, but I can always point out Pathfinder artwork. It's all very pointy. <laughs> So moving on to uh, the Faraway Land RPG is on Kickstarter, and I've been following Faraway Land for about a year or so now. A friend of mine turned me on to it, and essentially it's kind of like um, Adventure Time, sort of. It's just kind of a weird type cartoon-esque type land uh RPG setting, and I think I'm going to actually buy the PDF options in here. And looking at this Kickstarter, I can get the rule book for 15 bucks, or I can, let's see, I can get two, I get the, the rule book and an adventure for 25, and I think, or I could get everything for 50, and I'm debating on that. I mean, granted, that's five books. So essentially, they're about ten bucks a piece, and I may end up doing that. It's just kind of just a weird, kind of yeah, acid trip sort of deal. I don't know anything about like how the system plays, but I, just the whole background of it just seems kind of cool. It's fantasy, science fiction, weird, Gonzo, lighthearted setting. And yeah, I just dig the artwork and stuff. So who's developing this? Is this someone with an RPG background, or is this a new startup, or what is this? Well, I will say this is the second edition of Oh, okay. It. This is, yeah, Simeon Circle Games, and I don't think they've, they've done anything. I think this is pretty much like all he does is this faraway land RPG, but he came up with it. Okay. And um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it's the second edition of it. Because I've almost bought into it about a year ago, just because I thought it was weird enough to take a look. But, yeah. I don't know. Just thought I'd toss it on there. So, moving on to... Oh, yeah. the uh, I don't know if you guys voted, but the the Geek Awards for Board Game Geek? Yeah. 
or out. I didn't vote him, well, well, but they... I definitely took a look at him, and I always took take a look at the top of the list and think, okay, well, what am I missing? So for me, right. the one that's jumping out is 878 Vikings. That'll probably be the next one I buy that's at the top of those lists. 878, okay, I'm looking. Oh, Invasion Yeah, it's of a war game. It's a, it's a light war game. I think it'll probably be a good intro game for some people that I know that are interested in historical but don't want to get into heavy hex encounter, so... Okay, and this is an academy game, so yeah, because I recognize the, that that artwork typeset sort of. Yeah, yeah, they've got like they've got one like French and Indian Revolution and War, French and Indian War, and the War of eighteen twelve also. I know, looking at just kind of glancing through it, I see Seventh Con- Continent. You know, that was a big one that people talked about, and of course Gloomhaven, which we talked about last time. There's Pandemic Legacy Season Two. Uh, personally, I was, I scrolled down immediately, like, to just the, the war game, and I'm trying to think if there was, oh yeah, Fields of Despair, and Here I Stand, I I was interested in, Holland 44 is on there, Next War Poland is something I'd kind of be interested in, but yeah, there was a lot. That was on the shelf when I went to Miniature Market last week, and I almost picked it up, and I never ask myself this question when I'm going to buy a game, but for some reason I said, who's going to play this with me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never ask myself. Perhaps I should, but I never ask that. I see they have a best podcast uh, section. We could aspire to do that, you know, next year. They have best board game apps, uh, RPG game of the year. I see the reboot of Paranoia on there, and so is Star Trek Adventures. And, of course, they put Starfinder. Tales from the Loop is on there. I actually kickstarted that. In fact, just about every time that company puts out stuff to kickstart, I usually end up backing it because I like every, I love their art direction and how they put it together. Uh, Bluebeard's Bride was one I skipped, which I kind of wanted. And, uh, oh, yeah, they have RPG pod- podcasts and stuff. Anyway, this reminds me, uh, a friend of mine talked me into going to Board Game Geek Con, the, the big one in the fall. Did you get a ticket? Because I think they're sold out, too. I did. Oh, cool. I, they, when he told me about it, it was like they, uh, 75% of the tickets were gone in 15 minutes. <laughs> and he was like, look, just buy it, because you can get rid of it later if you want. And I'm like, okay, so I went in and I bought it. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to go there, and we'll see. Maybe I can meet some of you lovely people listening to this. Moving on to, (laughs) as of this podcast, this is the biggest dadgum Kickstarter in the board game world right now. This fucking Batman Gotham City Chronicles. Everyone's talking I was going to ask, yeah, everybody is. Did either one of you guys back it? Nope, I didn't. But I, I've heard everybody talking about it. <laughs> it's not my kind of game, um, but damn, everybody wants this game. As of the as as of this podcast that we recorded, it's raised two point eight million dollars <laughs> and has nineteen nineteen days left to go. And it's not cheap either. I mean, the all in pledge, which a lot of people are buying, is three hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah, more people. 6,921 people have bought yeah. that. Yeah, more people have bought Vert- the all-in than have bought the basic. Yeah, the basic 4,075 yeah. people. 
at 140, so it's literally over double. What (laughs) makes this game so good? I I don't understand. It's almost to the point where I'm like, damn, am I missing out? Am I missing some? Yeah, I guess so. I, I really think you're right. It's it's a Batman game, but I mean we've talked about that uh the the miniature game and it's not even remotely this popular. But yeah, fourteen thousand people have commented on it. And yeah, I guess, you know, they could expand this out. I just wonder what kind of game is it? it I mean it doesn't look like worker. Uh, it is I see some miniatures but it's not like worker placement or anything yeah no I mean it looks like uh, like a miniature sir- skirmish game kind of like Imperial Assault or something like that to me heroes versus villains obviously but if I had to summarize it quickly that's what it looks like to me yeah I see for 140 bucks there are two core boxes you get a heroes box and a villains yeah. box and, and the rule book but yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Dad gum. See double sided boards. If... Okay. The miniatures look pretty good, but I, I think they're small looking at the picture. I mean I could be wrong. I don't know what scale it is. I don't know. Now see, it would be funny if this is one that never delivers. Five years from now <laughs> it, it never delivers, you know, and people two point eight million. Ugh. Yeah. This is a this is a whole thing. Yeah, but yeah, it's that's the current big thing. I wonder when it's due to release to deliver. I think it said April uh, 2019. Okay, so April of next yeah. year, which probably means December of next <laughs> yeah. year. I mean, literally, that's like a year and a half later that you forgot you backed yeah. this and it just appeared. You've already paid it off. You you know, you put you paid $20 a month installments and it's paid off. You know, at this point. <laughs> so, moving on, um, Monster Apocalypse is back. And I was curious if you guys were familiar with this game. I'm not. Vaguely, yeah. Privateer Press is known for War Machine and Hordes. Well, about eight, ten years ago, they got into the collectible miniature game market with Monster Apocalypse. And it's essentially uh, Pacific Rim. It's kaijus versus us here. But there were a lot more factions. And uh, they are apparently relaunching this IP. Okay, yeah, they launched it in 2008, so it was 10 years ago. It was uh, it was a collectible miniature game, so you bought blind boxes, and they were all pre-painted. Mm-hmm. The, they are relaunching it as a uh, unpainted, unassembled game. So you just play it, and you just buy what you want and play it. I guess you know they've been they have this IP, they have all these molds, and I guess yeah, they're like, well, let's see if we can make a little cash on it. And I know there were a ton of different factions. There was like a Cthulhu faction. There was like a Godzilla-looking faction. There was an Ultraman-looking faction. Every trope you could think of from uh, kaiju-type movies was present in this game. And, um, yeah. I know I bought up a whole bunch of the scenery for it. Uh, about a year and a half ago, for use in like fifteen or sixteen or six millimeter sci-fi 
because it was all pre-painted buildings and stuff. It was great. Because that was, like, part of the deal is, like, you... The bad guys would come to destroy the city, and, like, they would attack the buildings, and they would take damage, and if you were defending the city, you had to stop them. So. Mm-hmm. Just a thing. But, uh, I... I don't know. It's one of those things that I'm... I, yeah, I just kind of like spent... Yeah, that I might be like, eh, kind of want to get that, but then no one will play it, so I don't know. We'll see. So moving on, Scythe is coming to Steam? Yeah. I know... I know it's coming as a real-time strategy game, but are they actually porting over the board yes, game? Yes, they are. Yeah. And they've, it's been on Tabletop Simulator for a while. I don't play it on there, um, just because you know, I've got the board and I don't play much on Tabletop Simulator. But yeah, the actual board game is being ported over to Steam. And then I just saw an announcement recently that Through the Ages and Terraforming Mars are both coming out on Steam also, which is it's a it's a lot of you know real good quality board games are to be coming out on Steam. And if if those are good implementations, then it's gonna It'll definitely increase the brand of those games and get people, you know. I, I know that buying, if I like a game, I would want to own it on cardboard and on my laptop because I can play it on my laptop by myself. And the same game I can get out to play with someone else on the table. Or like in the case of, like we mentioned earlier, uh, Twilight Struggle, I can play with other friends online. So I actually, I think it's pretty cool. Um I've been saying for a while that I hope they do this with the coin games. The coin games already have the AI built into the game. They've got uh, AI flowchart that comes with every one of the games, and it, if somebody could just program those into the uh, computer, somebody that's not me because I'm not a programmer, I think that would be amazing. Now, it, was Scythe kickstarted? The original, I think it was, I think it was yes. Okay. But uh, the Steam game is not uh, Kickstart. I have seen Kickstart digital games lately, but the Steam one is just—it's just if you go on, if you go on Steam, it just says you know coming soon. I wonder if they're going to do now. I don't know. How well, you guys are into like PC games and whatnot, but it seems like nowadays you get those in development games that you know we buy a beta and they stay in beta <laughs> for a long time. And yeah, yeah, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, me too. It's curious. Now, that is one I guess I eventually want to play because it's everybody talks about it. I also love the artwork, yeah. you know. And that's I think that's kind of what really got the game's attention was that particular artist was just so good. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I, it's probably top definitely top 5, maybe top 3. Cool. And I see you've got the we have the Scythe music listed here from SoundCloud. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I didn't even had a chance to listen to them yet, but yeah, I just thought that was funny because a few sessions ago playing Scythe, I was just like, oh, we should put some music on, and I'm just like randomly looking for stuff. We ended up with like some stuff from the Russian Army Band and just stuff that seemed to sort of fit, fit that that Eastern European thematic. But then I saw Stonemaier. Yeah, they, they put out like a separate list for each faction in the game, so I thought that was pretty cool. Huh. I'll have to check that really out. Cool. Yeah. And last but certainly not least, there is a Mage Knight Ultimate Edition. Now I remember when they came out with the Mage Knight board game, I was like, oh wait, they're bringing the game back. The you know because we mentioned the pre painted 
miniatures earlier, but no, it was actually a really popular board game, but I don't know how it plays. Never played it. Yeah, so this one is different from the board game. I've never played the miniatures game. I, this is the only one I've ever played, but it's uh, it's a basi- basically an adventure exploration game. You play a mage knight, which is you know a magical character that kills things, and you develop a you you get followers to come with you, and you start having this army following you around as you explore these big hex tiles, you build the map as you go. And, you know, ultimately the goal of the game is to within three days, destroy two cities. So, but there's expansions for the game and it's a pretty popular game, which is surprising given how hard it is. I mean, the, the, the actual, you, it's one of those games that the rule book isn't very well written and there's videos online. If you watch them, they do a good job of explaining how to play the game. But I have owned this game for two years. I've probably played it a dozen times and I have never beaten it. I've never beaten two cities in solo mode. So it, but it's still fun. I've never played it. Yeah, but it's fun. And I only have one expansion for it. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to buy the big box with all the expansions in it because I already have most of that. But I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, this particular one comes with all three expansions, yeah. and I think it has an MSRP of around $125. Yep. Well, I guess that about wraps us up here at the end. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy the show. By all means, please uh, drop us a line at Chance of Gaming at Gmail or at Chance of Gaming at Twitter, and just let us know. How we're doing, what you think, what you want more of, less of. And, uh, yeah. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, guys. Bye, Internet. <laughs>